Hello and welcome to another installment of The Scrum, the political podcast that we do here at WGBH News. I'm Adam Riley, and today we're talking about the ongoing strike by Verizon workers in Massachusetts and elsewhere. You've probably seen them if you've driven by a Verizon wireless store in the past few weeks, and you may know that the Obama administration is currently working to broker a compromise between the employees and the company. But if you're like me, you don't know exactly what's at stake or what connection there is, if any, to Verizon's Ballyhooed new partnership with the city of Boston. I'm joined today by two people who should be able to change that. Kevin Holland is a Verizon technician. He's also the vice president of IBEW Local 2222. Kevin, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Also in the WGBH studios, Greg Irving, a Verizon customer service rep, He's also an executive board member of CWA Local 1400 and that union's vice president for Southeastern Massachusetts. Greg, thanks to you as well. Thank you for having me. I should note here that we did try to get someone from Verizon Management to come in and give us the company's perspective on what's at stake in these contract negotiations. They declined our offer, but they pointed us to a spot online where Verizon has fleshed out its point of view. Take a listen to Mark Reed, Verizon's chief administration officer, giving his take on the strike and the state of Verizon's business. Our wireline business operates in an increasingly competitive environment with rapidly changing technologies and evolving consumer demands. It's no longer the monolithic phone company of the Ma Bell era. This fundamental shift in our business requires that we rethink the costs and constraints in our legacy contracts. The fact that associates have gone on strike does not change the need to address those critical issues. So, Kevin and Greg, uh, what do you think when you hear Mark Reed make the case he just made there? Sure. So I think that the the company tries to make the case that the wireline side of the business is dying and that the wireless side of the business is where they're making all the money and they try to treat them as two completely separate businesses. By the way, just for people like me who are really slow on the uptake, wireline refers to the actual what, what we sure, think they, of as cable fibers, right? Absolutely right? right. Either the old copper cables that come to your home, the old traditional telephone service, right up through the uh, fiber optic FIO service that the company has evolved into. Okay, so they treat them as two separate things. What's wrong with that? The problem with that is it's actually one network. There is no wireless company without the wireline network. So while they say the wireline side of the business has declined, the truth of the matter is the wireless company wouldn't exist. Their network would not work without the network that we built on the wireline side of the house. Uh, Greg Irving, can you explain to me why you need those two pieces to work together? Because, again, I'm slow on the uptake, especially when it comes to things involving science, engineering, math, and a few other topics. Sure. When any kind of a call goes through on the cellular network, it does go through the traditional network. To get to its, you know, if you call the pizza place from your cell phone, it still goes through the traditional network gotcha. to get there. So the, the wireless point is the beginning and end of that communication transaction, but the old school wireline piece of the network is the conduit. Exactly. Is that all right? That's fine. Correct. Okay. So let's back up even further. Who is on strike right now? What workers are on strike at Verizon and, and which ones, if any, are not? Sure. So between from Virginia... Up through Massachusetts, we have 39,000 wireline employees who are on strike. In addition to that, in 2014, we had uh, Verizon wireless employees in both Massachusetts and New York vote to join the union. They've been in contract talks to get their first contract with the company since 2014. And a portion of the wireless company is on strike. Granted, it's a small portion, but it'll be a start. Once they get their first contract... 
we're pretty confident that the rest of the wireless employees will be looking to join the union as well. And what's the range of jobs that the people who are currently striking do? Everything from the technicians who fix the, the lines to the customer service representatives to the collections people, all of it. Anything, anytime that you would contact Verizon, that's the group that's on strike. Okay. Um, just so listeners have a sense of... of what the compensation's like in these jobs. What's the range of salaries that we're talking about here? Um, I would say for the the lower range is probably around $50,000 up to maybe seventy seventy five thousand 75000 base salary. Okay, does that sound right? Yes, it does. Okay. Um, how did negotiations with the company break down? I'm wondering what it was that you guys thought you absolutely had to get that the company absolutely refused to give. Sure. So normally, so our contract expired August 1st of 2015. Negotiations began on June 22nd of 2015. So normally in, in the bargaining process, both sides will make a proposal. They'll talk about it back and forth and try to come to an agreement that both sides can live with. This time around, the company on day one presented a, comprehen- a comprehensive proposal where every single article in our contract, they were looking for a concession. It was a 100% concessionary contract, and they were not open to discussing it. Huh. So what kind of concessions were they looking for? Talk me through the big ones. So the biggest ones are, are health care. So, you know, uh, Mark Reed in, in one of the video clips that they... Uh, you know, that they put out to the public. This is the chief administration officer, right? Exactly, right, and one of the lead negotiators for the company. They'll be quick to put up, point out that they're only looking for a small increase in premiums, and we can't understand why the employees won't go for that. Well, what they fail to point out in those videos is, sure, they might be looking for a few bucks a week increase, but they don't mention they're looking to double the co-payments. They're looking to double the uh, prescription payments. So if you're an employee... Whose, whose family is 100% healthy and you have no need to use that health care, you're right, you will only pay a few bucks more a week. But if you're like the majority of people who happen to get sick, then you're going to be paying a lot more. So right off the bat, let me ask you, and I, I feel a little bit obligated to play devil's advocate more sure. than I would if we had someone from Verizon sure. Management sitting here with us. But when I hear you talk about that, on the one hand, I feel your pain because mm-hmm. I don't know how they stack up, but we've had changes to our health care here at WGBH that we yeah. get through Blue Cross Blue Shield. We have to pay more than we used to. I know it's sort of the way things are going everywhere. So I'm sympathetic, but isn't that to be expected given that health care costs are totally out of control, that you guys are going to be asked to foot more of the bill? You know what? Normally, I would say yes, right? But this is a company that is extremely profitable. This is a company that last year made $1.5 billion, with a B, billion dollars per month in profit after every expense was paid. And in the last quarter of last year, made $1.8 billion a month in profit. It's not bad. $39 billion in profit over the last three years. Where does Verizon sit, uh, Greg Irving, on the, uh, like the Fortune 500 scale or that sort of thing? Do you know? 16. 16. Okay. So they're definitely doing well. Yes. And what's executive compensation like? The executive compensation is just off the charts. And that's one of the things that's actually resonating with the public with us. The top five executives at Verizon over the last five years have been compensated $233 million. And that's, I'm trying to do the math, top five, $233 million, that's a, a lot of money. That's a lot of money. The CEO makes 200 times more than the average worker. Okay. Um, there were other issues, if I recall correctly, in the, the reading that I did right before I came down here, 
job security was mm-hmm. one of them, right? Also, the the degree to which you might be forced to travel mm-hmm. to do uh, repair work. Am I right about that? Correct. Okay. What was um, what was going on with those two things? Let's start with job security. The job security, um, especially in my the call centers where Customer I service, am, yeah. correct? You know where they call in. They are looking to outsource those jobs to places like the Philippines, the Dominican Republic, just anywhere other than in the United States. Um, they pay the people in the Philippines about $1.70 an hour. And, and they have no benefits. Um, the, there was a group in the Philippines that actually has to buy their own headsets hmm. to do the job. They, just, it's, they are just looking to outsource those jobs and get rid of them completely. So is your assumption that, that uh, one way or another, the job that you do for Verizon is not going to be around in, say, 15 or 20 years? If the company has its way, yes. Okay. Uh, and is job security only a consideration for call center reps or for other people as well? Absolutely not. No. So in the last decade, the number of job, the number of union jobs at Verizon has gone down by forty percent in the last decade, and that includes not only the jobs that Greg spoke about in the call center type jobs, but also um, what are called outside plant technicians. So as you drive around your town, right? I I grew up in South Boston. I now live down in Plymouth, and everywhere you drive, you see two poles attached together. They call them double poles. So yeah. they'll, they'll put a new pole in the ground, cut the old one out, and attach them together. The guys that did that job, their department was decimated, and the company has zero intention of getting that work done. Not only is it an eyesore, but it's also a safety issue. It's those types of jobs, too. And it's just wrong for a company that's making the money they're making. So if you got what you're looking for when it comes to job security, what would the company promise to do? Uh, And I guess maybe I should break this down by union, right, because you guys are are dealing with different employees. Uh, Greg Irving, what would you like the company to do in terms of job security for call center reps? We are... We have a current job security in the contract that just expired. So what does that mean exactly? That means that there is a, before they can lay someone off or move a call, there is a certain procedure that they have to follow, and we are guaranteed a percentage of our phone calls. And we are really looking to maintain that. Okay. And what do they want to do? Do they want to get rid of it totally? They do. And then the in their most or their last proposal, they did propose a job security if we tied it to a a, a few things, and those few things actually circumvent job security. Do you? Can you tell me what some of those few things are? Sure, they there was to to? yeah, there was one where they want to offer basically an incentive to leave the company by department instead of by seniority, as they would have to now. There is um, they want to be able to, and the, I'm sure the IBW can speak better to that. The technicians they want to move them sixty days out of their current location for you know great periods of time. There's a lot that they want to do that would, by doing these, it basically circumvents the job security. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Kevin, you want to flesh out what he was talking about in terms yeah, of sure. job security? Yeah, so, sure. So the company says we're absolutely willing to give them the job security. What they don't mention is we'll give you the job security, but we want the ability to move technicians for up to two months at a time anywhere from Massachusetts down to Virginia in a moment's notice. So you get down there, you're down there away from your family for two months, Come back for a week, and they can turn around and say, we're sending you back again. Now, I thought in the video uh, clips that we were directed to by Verizon that there was reference made to a willingness to soften what they were asking for in terms of travel, uh, that you know, they, they heard the backlash, they felt the backlash, and so they pulled back a little bit on their Correct. demands. Did they? they? Well, it sounds nice. So what they actually said that they would do was um, reduce that from going from, say, Massachusetts to Virginia to what they're calling a commutable distance, 
which their definition of commutable and our definition of commutable, commutable are very different. The company says, well, I think three-hour commute per day each way is fair. And is that, uh, a, and I'm not joking here, is that a three-hour car commute? or yes. are they in, Okay. Yes. So they're not expecting people to fly, but maybe Correct. to drive six right. hours round trip. Correct. I want to talk about wages, too. Here is Arlene Preston, Verizon's compensation director, talking about what the company has been offering. The company's offer includes three wage increases, totaling 7.5% during the contract term. First, 2.5% increase following the effective date of the new contract. Then, another 2% increase after the first anniversary of the effective date of the new contract. And finally, a 3% increase effective following this second anniversary of the effective date of the contract. So I know 7.5% is not a, a massive increase, but you hear again and again that American workers' wages are stagnant. Uh, so it's better than a lot of people are getting. Why is that not enough? Well, it, it absolutely has nothing to do with the money. They, I mean, they can offer as 7.5%. They can offer as 5%. They can offer as 15%. But if your job is going to force you to be away from your family for months at a time, or even if you go by Verizon's definition of a commutable distance, that that eight-hour workday is now turned into a 14-hour workday. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. So the commuting time that they would like you guys to uh, commit to, is is that's not included in the workday, getting to and from the site. Oh, no. No, no, no. All that's right. on your own time. Okay. Yeah. And with the increased in cost of the health care and not not so much the amount per week, but the additional cost for prescriptions and co-pays, that offsets the wage increase. So I have to ask you, too, about the uh, big new joint venture between the city of Boston and Verizon that was announced, I think, on April 12th. Remind me, when did the strike begin? April 13th, and it was announced on April 12th, the day before. All right. Is that a coincidence? Um, no, I mean, that that deal had been in the works with the, uh, with the company and the mayor. And I couldn't tell if you were just starting to laugh. I saw Greg trying to fight back a smile. Sorry, Kevin, go ahead. That deal been in the works. No, honestly, I mean, I think... I think Mayor Walsh did a good job working with the company to get that done. And we welcome that deal. We do. We we absolutely welcome that deal. It's good work for our guys. Yeah, great work for you, right? Absolutely. Whole new citywide uh, network. Right. I don't know if the company thought that, you know, maybe that would uh, force us to not go on strike. I don't know what their thought process was. If they were here, we could ask them. But Right. Greg, what do you think? I do believe that it was time the day be- because we had told them the date in advance that we were going to go out on strike if they didn't move at the table. So they knew we were going on Wednesday. I do not believe that Tuesday for that announcement was it was it was planned. Well, whether or not they thought it was going to keep you guys from going on strike, it's a nice way to redirect the media attention, sure, right? Because absolutely. all of a sudden the thing that we're talking about here several weeks later is a follow-up story and right. the main story is this a uh, big, great new thing for the city. Right. Uh, you've had a lot of support shown by politicians in the area. Mayor Walsh is thought of as this staunch union guy, used to work for the building trades. Has he shown any kind of solidarity or sympathy with uh, your two unions? I mean, he so Mayor Walsh was a labor guy, and I, I really think that he's getting a uh, some unfair treatment in the media lately with the you know some of the things that have been said about him. Um, he has. He you're, has you're talking about the uh, stories involving federal investigations right. uh, into. Uh, we don't need to rehash it all. Her federal yeah. investigations of possibly illegal labor, labor practices. Correct. He's been. Um, Mayor Walsh has always had a uh, had a 
good relationship with us. Um, we welcome his support. And uh, Have you gotten it yet? I mean, has he come out on a picket line or anything like that or made any kind of statement saying, uh, hey, I'd like to see Verizon do right by these guys? Um, he, he has, he has said that, you know, he will support us any way he can, whether or not he's been out on a picket line. I honestly don't know. And I don't mean to, to, uh, sorry, Greg, um, I don't mean to belabor this, but has he said that publicly or privately? I have not heard it, but maybe I've missed it. Um, to be honest with you, I'm not sure. Okay. Greg, you wanted to hop in. I no, I was just saying that I, he has not, my lines are more south of Boston as because I do Southeastern Mass. So I've had great support from the politicians down in that area. Who stands out in terms of politicians that have uh, made it clear they're behind you? We had the um, – well, in Boston last Wednesday, we had the Suffolk County Sheriff was there. Um, all the politicians from the – Steve Tompkins, right? Yes, and all the politicians from the – we went – we started at the State House, and all the politicians from their respective districts, you know, everyone from, from my district, which is Jeff Deal, to – they all marched with us from the State House to Bowdoin Square – um, and there was that was quite a there was quite a support. All right, and and I swear I'm not trying to put you on the hot seat. My last mayor Walsh question was the mayor there for that. I did not see the mayor there on that day. Okay, what's the state of play right now in terms of getting back to the bargaining table with Verizon? So it was announced on Sunday that the uh, Secretary of Labor Thomas Perez has uh, had a meeting down in Washington at his office with. Um, Lowell McAdams, who's the CEO of Verizon, Chris Shelton, who is the president of the Communication Workers of America, and uh, Lonnie Stevenson, who's the president of the IBW. And was that meeting productive? It was productive to the point that they're actually meeting again today and they have another meeting scheduled for tomorrow. All right. And that's today. Uh, i got to check my watch for the day. What is it, the 18th? Tuesday 17th? the 17th. Getting ahead of myself. All right. Yeah. Thank you for, for uh, dating us. Uh, Greg, are you optimistic? Anytime we're talking, it's better than not talking. Um, I have not heard of what's been proposed by the company, if they've made any moves off the same demands that they made in June and have not changed um, in, all this, in all this time. Um, I think if there, if there is some movement and there is compromise, this can be resolved quickly, yes. Anything I didn't ask you about before we go that is important? Well, yeah, I, I think one of the one of the important things that needs to be pointed out is the replacement workers that the company has hired – they put out advertisements asking for uh, for technicians to come into the state to do the jobs of the striking workers. They said that they were going to um, have to pass a uh, rigorous Verizon background check, possess a valid driver's license, and maintain that valid driver's license while they were working for Verizon. The problem is, the truth of the matter is, the company will literally hire anybody who shows up with a truck and a toolbox. How do you know that? These guys are coming in from pretty much every state on the East Coast, from from Central America all the way over. We had an issue You're last week. Central America. Like, I'm sorry. Where I grew uh, up they, in, in Minnesota as opposed the Midwest, to— the, I'm sorry. The Midwest it. all the way over. Just so, wanted to clarify. Yeah. We had an issue last week out on one of our picket lines in Westboro— there was a police detail on the line. The police officer was trying to get the truck to stop so that she could separate the line. Driver decided he was going to keep going. Not only did he strike the police officer, he also struck one of our uh, striking members who ended up on the hood of the truck. The driver slammed on his brakes, threw the guy off the hood of the truck. He was taken away in an ambulance. Oh, man. Where this, did this happen? This happened at 8.20 in the morning. At 8.20 in the morning in Westboro, Massachusetts, right off of Route 9. 
The gentleman who was driving the truck, and I use that term loosely, was arrested for his fourth OUI at 8.20 in the morning. He was arrested for uh, driving to endanger one count on the police officer, one count on the striking worker, and we found out after the fact that he was hired with a suspended license out of Florida, suspended last year. Uh, again, just just to imagine what the company might say if they were sitting here, is it at all possible that this is a horrible anomaly? This guy slipped through the cracks, but this isn't sure. happening on a on so a let's scale? let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt. So, if I were one of those well compensated Verizon executives and I heard that story in the media, I might say, okay, let's go and make sure that every other replacement worker that we had has a valid driver's license at the very least, and maybe we can actually do that rigorous background check. Unfortunately, this morning out in Boylston, Mass., we had the same exact thing happen, only this time, luckily, a police officer wasn't hit. One of our striking workers was hit. The gentleman driving the truck put it into park, jumped out, ran across the parking lot, jumped into his personal pickup truck, and took off. They called the police. The police caught up with him a few miles away, brought him back to the scene, and he was arrested. That gentleman, we found out after the fact, was driving with the license that was suspended 12 years ago. Greg, you have any tales like this from the uh, call center rep side? The the representatives that they have, the ones in the Philippines and the Dominican that that were that are doing our that the company hired to do our struck work, they the company promised them the earth, the moon, and the stars, and has given them basically nothing. Well, tell me more about the promises that they they made. they promised them that these jobs would become permanent, that these jobs would include you know wages and benefits, all of these things, and they have delivered on none of it. Um, they are again being paid a dollar seventy an hour to do this struck work, and they are not trained. We, if you call in to do anything, a question on your bill, a, you want to change a service, you want to add, you know, a movie channel for your kids for the weekend, it's forty minutes to get an order that should be done in minutes. Are you disappointed with the amount of attention that those of us in the media and the general public are paying to this strike? I would say yes, and. We appreciate you bringing us here, but I can't help but think that the lack of media coverage isn't tied to the amount of money that Verizon spends on advertising in the general media. I don't know if it's true or not, but I can't help but think that. For what it's worth, I have no idea if Verizon is a GBH underwriter connected with any of our various programs. Um, I can tell you that in our newsroom, there's been no discussion of, you know, we should steer clear of this because of such and such a tie to Verizon, but I don't know if such and such a tie exists. We right. we have never had, I've never had that kind of convo with anyone, but that doesn't mean it's not happening elsewhere. Greg, what do you think? I think the public support has been phenomenal. People um, stop and they, they visit our lines, they bring us food and coffee, and, hmm. you know, the public support has been phenomenal. Um, I do think the media attention has been has been lacking, and I agree with Kevin. It's I think it's directly related to the amount of money Verizon spends on advertisement. What do you think it is that makes a certain labor action, like what was going on at uh, at Market Basket, um, acquire all this attention, take on this life of its own in the public's mind and the press's mind? Whereas something else, I know they're not, it's an apples to oranges comparison, but some other labor management conflict maybe doesn't get ignored, but doesn't get nearly the same amount of attention. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that the, mar- the market basket situation was, um, was pretty interesting to watch. It's a, it's a, I think it was a story that people could relate to. You have people who worked for a company that were treated very fairly, 
the company was taking o- taken over by new management who was not treating them fairly, and they weren't going to stand for it. Now, granted, they're not a union, and I give them an awful lot of credit because it would have been very easy for them to just get rid of all those employees and hire replacement emplacement employees, and there's nothing they could do about it. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people in America look at unions as in a negative light. And I don't know if it goes back to the old Jimmy Hoffa days, if they just look at us as being greedy. I'm not quite sure, and I don't understand it. But hopefully, through through what we're trying to do with this strike and getting the message out that, look, we're not looking for exorbitant raises. We're not looking for exorbitant benefits. We're really looking to just maintain what we have and to try to keep those jobs here in the United States. And I'm not going to apologize that. There is nothing wrong with making a fair wage with a fair benefit package so that we can try to achieve the American dream. There's nothing wrong with that, and we absolutely shouldn't apologize for that. All right, just for the hell of it, I'm not saying I think it's going to happen, but if all the uh, well-compensated top Verizon executives we were talking about earlier, you know, if they all are avid listeners of this podcast and you had a chance to bend their ear, what would what would you say to them? Well, I would say that don't forget the reason that the company is making the money they're making is because of their employees, because of us. We're guys who grew up here. We have families. These are good middle-class American jobs. Greg's job is a good middle-class American job, and there is absolutely no need for the company to take that job, move it overseas, and pay somebody less than 2 bucks an hour just so they can increase their profits. Greg, how about you? It's just Exactly. It's a, this has been a, 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 a – since I've been with the company for 16 years, it's been a systematic attack on the middle-class jobs that are part of the backbone of Verizon. All right. Greg Irving and Kevin Holland, thank you both, and good luck. Thank you. Thank you. And now I am joined by WGBH News senior editor Peter Kadzis, who's pretty good, I think, at dissecting the minutia of political back and forth and drawing out a bigger sociological or anthropological lesson. Is that fair to say, Peter? Am I giving you too much credit? Uh, let, we'll let the listeners find out. <laughs> All right. Uh, you're directionally correct. I hope. <laughs> I hope. So what do you make of what we just heard from Kevin Holland and Greg Irving? Listen, I thought those guys were really articulate. I thought they did a good job of explaining their point of view. Um, Let me step back from the specifics of the case um, and say, you know, what we have here in the Verizon strike is a microcosm of the forces that ultimately led in a very large part, to the growth of Donald Trump's political appeal and also led to the rise of Bernie Sanders. Now, Adam, I see you're looking at me skeptically here. Um, Let's deal with Bernie Sanders. Something these guys mentioned, you you know, almost right off the bat, that the executives at Verizon make 200 times what the average worker does. I mean, that, that's a fairly stark contrast, and this is one reason why Bernie Sanders continues to do so well among Democratic voters. Uh, also, Paul Feeney, 
uh, who's a member of one of these unions. Is he the uh, IBEW? Paul Feeney is IBW, yeah. Right. He ran Bernie Sanders' campaign here in Massachusetts. Ah. So th- there is a tie-in. But the Trump story, in some ways, is is more interesting. And by the Trump story, I mean that this is a case study, the Verizon strike, the conflict between Verizon management and their workers, that is unfolding right before the public's eyes. And it is the, the tensions embodied in this strike that have um, led many blue-collar workers to um, become so frustrated with politics that they ultimately are supporting Donald Trump, which is, for many people, myself included, problematic. You know, people who should have been Democratic voters are now voting Republican. And here's how it works. You've got this big company, Verizon, very successful company. And if you have Verizon stock in your 401k, you're probably very happy about it. It's, you know, been profitable to the tunes of billions and billions of dollars. But Verizon is facing a fork in the road. On the one hand is what they call the wireline business, you know, um, uh, Fios. You know, it's fiber optics is the new thing that's opposed to copper wire. It's very profitable. The workforce is unionized, and a good job, you know, for a, a blue-collar family averages out with benefits and all, according to the New York Times, about $130,000 a year. Hmm. That's a good deal. On the other hand, you have the wireless side of the business. Um, it's growing all around the nation. It's the future. If Fios is twice as profitable as cable is, then wireless is twice as profitable as Fios. I mean, I'm, I'm reducing this to very simple terms. That's good. I need that. But basically, 40 cents of every wireless dollar goes right into cash flow. Those, wow. guys, those guys making 200 times the average worker like that. You know, plus labor costs are lower because the workforce on the wireless side is not unionized. Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder, listening to um, uh, the union representatives talk, if, you know, if if, um, perhaps as important to management's point of view is weakening the the, the union, that might be in the long run more important than any dollar sign figure. And again, I got to stress, if you have Verizon in your 401k or you own Verizon stock, you're probably pretty happy with management. But if you're a worker for Verizon, it's not that your jobs, some jobs are on the line now, but without the union to protect them, um, you know, they'd Everything's fair game. Everything's fair game. I got to yeah. say, when I, when we heard Greg Irving, the uh, customer service rep who's part of CWA Local 1400, when we heard him talking about jobs being outsourced uh, overseas, I, I think I even let it slip during the interview. It's hard not to be pessimistic about where he and his colleagues are going to be 10 years from now. Well, I think it is it, it is tough not to be pessimistic because, you, you, you know, the larger forces of deindustrialization, of outsourcing, are what's driving Verizon's, man, you know, Verizon management. Um, if there's a referee here, and, and there is, to a, a certain degree, I, I have to wonder about what role the FCC has been playing. Um, I don't know the answer to the question I'm about to pose, but is the FCC properly incentivizing 
um, the cable part of the business, like at AT&T, for example, Verizon, you know, at Comcast, at Verizon, are there proper incentives there to keep these jobs going? Mm -hmm. But to get back to my Donald Trump analogy, you've got these very cold, impersonal market forces that are at work here, and this is what ultimately costs, you know, blue-collar workers, men, women, their jobs. You, you know, we're, we're seeing deindustrialization in action hmm. right here. All right. Peter Kadzis, thank you, as always. Good to chat with you. And thank you for listening to The Scrum. You can find us online anytime at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum, where you can catch back episodes. You can tweet Peter at Kadzis or me at Riley Adam. You can always email us at scrum at wgbh.org to tell us what we got wrong, what we got right, or maybe suggest a topic for later discussion. And, of course, you can find us on iTunes or at the podcatcher of your choice. Our producer is Jason Tereski. Our engineer is Doug Sugertz. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. Mm-hmm.